Turn with me to 3 John. Very back of the back of your Bible or just scroll it on your phone. It's not really a Bible, but it's <laughs> Oh. I mean even in this passage John writes in verse 13, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. He wants to see face to face, but he does use pen and ink. So I think that's important. (laughs) All right, look at verse 1 with me and let's read through this final epistle. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends. Every one of them. Father, your word is truth. And truth changes us. So this morning as we study your words, as we study this truth, we ask that you would bring a transforming work into our hearts, into our minds. Lord, help us to grasp the insights and truth of your word. Give us discernment this morning, Lord. Father, may may we rejoice in what we read this morning and in what we learn that you may be glorified, that your name may be honored. Father, I pray and ask that you would help me this morning. Help me to shepherd the church through the preaching of your word. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> well, 3 John is the final letter written by the elder. John writes in the very beginning, the elder, 
And that's who, who John is. He's writing this final epistle to a man named Gaius in a church most likely near Ephesus. Based, and John's based in the Ephesian church. He, that's his home, letter, home base. But that's where he writes and he sends letters throughout the community, throughout the area, throughout Asia Minor, which is a modern day Turkey, which is where Ephesus is located. He sends out letters known as circular letters. And these letters make their way through the church. And so 1 John, 2 John, and now 3 John, those letters are, are circular letters. They've made their way through the churches. And so he's writing this, this final letter to instruct and to, to warn um, these churches with the difficulties they're facing, as well as to encourage them in their faith in Christ, to assure them of the, the salvation in Christ. And although this happens to be a, a personal letter, in when Devin taught a few weeks ago on Second John, it's it's a letter to the church. This is a letter to a man named, named Gaius. And it is a very personal letter, but it is a letter that is as well to be shared among the Christian community so that these folks can understand the controversies that are happening to them as they are facing these controversies, particularly from a man named Diotrephes, who is most likely a pastor in another area church, another local church, who is creating quite a controversy and problems in the Christian community. It, it, there is a battle raging in this community um, that has great potential to discourage even the, the strongest saints. And I know as we keep reading through the New Testament, it can seem like controversy never leaves the church, that it's just there again and again. But as we read through this letter, I think you're going to be encouraged and surprised when we get to the end of the letter, something John has to say that will serve us all as we are a local church and the reality exists that there will be times where we most likely face controversy. But it is, it is hard. It is hard when, when controversy occurs in a church and, and folks just want to give up. What's the point? Why bother with the local church? There's a story of a, a man who is shipwrecked. He was all alone on an island for 30 years. Finally, a passing ship comes by, sees his smoke signal, and sends a boat. And as the boat comes on shore, the sailors who are disembarking from the boat look and see this old man waving to them. And there also see three huts. And there's this man in the middle hut calling to them to come. And when they get up there with confused and a perplexed question, they say, why, why three huts? And the man says, well, this middle hut is my home. And the one on the right is my first church. <laughs> it'll take a moment, but it'll come. <laughs> In 1979, 1984, 1997, and in 2011, pretty much the entirety of my Christian life, every church I was in in those years experienced some sort of controversy or split. 
1979, 1984, 1994, 1997, the smallest book in the New Testament. On one side is the discouraging reality that, that struggles of, of conflict and heresy and broken relationships and gossip and slander and accusations and bad pastors still exist today. But there's another side to this coin. And it's that God is still at work in his people individually and corporately. The inspired counsel of God's word from 2,000 years ago is still powerful and transformative and true and useful to shape the church to be the pure and blameless bride that Jesus is excitedly coming back for. <clears throat> now here in Third John, we have a church that we see in both its faithfulness and its failings. And there are lessons to be learned. John is filled with rich wisdom to instruct believers how to, as we see again and again in this, in this short letter, how to walk in the truth for the sake of Christ and his church. So here's my proposition for you this morning, and it's simply this. For the church to prosper, all must be well with your soul. For the church to prosper, all must be well with your soul. <clears throat> and since I didn't project it on the screen, I'll say it one more time. For the church to prosper, all must be well with your soul. And the two main points are pretty simple as well. An example to follow, Gaius, who has a healthy soul, and an example to avoid, Diotrephes, who has a sick soul. The question I want to ask this morning is, why is it well with Gaius' soul, and what is wrong with Diotrephes? In verses 1 through 4, we read that Gaius is an honorable man, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health, as it goes well with your soul. And then he says this in verse 3, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Gaius is an honorable man who John has the greatest affection for. He is the beloved Gaius. It is the Gaius whom he loves in the truth. And John John is testifying in this letter to Gaius's godliness. He's testifying that this man is a man who walks in the truth. And what he means by truth there is the gospel. He is a, he is a gospel man. He is a man who, who loves Christ. He is a man who lives 
and walks out the truth of the gospel. In contrast to a man named Diotrephes, who is living and walking in the darkness of sin, and that darkness deeply affects those around them. These, these two men are, are literally a living illustration of what John wrote earlier in his first epistle. In, in chapter 1, he says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. These are two men, one who is walking in the light, who is having fellowship with God and fellowship with the church. And here is Diotrephes, who was walking in darkness, walking in sin, and he was destroying the fellowship, destroying the relationships that had been, I suspect, earlier on dear to him. So our first, our first point is we have an example to follow, and that is Gaius. He has a healthy soul. And what, what made Gaius's soul well? For if Gaius's soul is not well, he is literally not well at all. And this is what John says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health. So uh, uh, grateful. You know, John's like, good. Gaius, I'm, I'm glad you exercise. I'm glad you go to the gym. I'm glad you do the things to make yourself healthy. But as it goes well with your soul. And that is, that really is the, the thrust of, of what John is after, that things are going well with Gaius's soul. And that's why Gaius is the man that he is. And what makes Gaius's soul well? Well, the first thing that makes his soul well is that he is faithful. Gaius is faithful to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that you are walking in the truth. My children are walking in the truth. He is a gospel man. He is faithful to walk in the truth because he knows the truth. Gaius not only knows the gospel, he, he bleeds the gospel by the way he lives. With his actions, with the, the things he does, he shows that he belongs to Christ. The truth of the gospel is alive and, and active in this man's personal life. Listen, the gospel is not just an idea. It's not just this good idea. The gospel is a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And Gaius knows Christ. And he walks in the relationship that he has with Jesus Christ. He walks in fellowship with Jesus Christ. That's what's personal here. That's what it means to, to walk in the truth. He knows this person. He's come to know Christ. He's been transformed by Christ. And he now stands for Christ. He lives in the goodness and the knowledge of the gospel. He lives in the promises that God has given in Christ. All that Christ has done for him, who has atoned for his sin on the cross, who has forgiven him and cleansed him and adopted him into the family and is now securing for him an inheritance that is promised, sealed by 
the Holy Spirit. This is real to him. This is as real to Gaius as the air that he breathes. He is a gospel man. How real is the gospel to you? How real is the gospel in your daily life when you wake up in the morning, when you get ready for work, when you get ready for the day, as you're going about your day, as you face the situations, whether it's the blessings or the trials of the day, how does the gospel become real to you in those moments? Are you walking in the truth? Not just, I believe it, but I'm living in it. And when I face that difficulty, when I've, I've, I've gotten impatient with traffic once again, I've gotten angry at my wife once again, how is the gospel real? Because if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. It is well with my soul at that moment. And Gaius is faithful to walk in the truth. Secondly, Gaius is faithful to love others. Verse 5, beloved, it is a faithful thing you do. Beloved. I mean, John loves this man, and he's saying, listen, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. His love was so evident his love was so great for strangers, for those he did not know, that they testify to their own church when they get back. Oh, listen, let me tell you the first thing about this man named Gaius. He loves. He demonstrates the love of Christ. That is what makes his soul well. He has served those who are sharing in gospel ministry and he loves them and they saw Christ in him. He is, he's a living demonstration of what John writes in his gospel in, in 1335. This is, what, this is what John writes. He's quoting Jesus. Now, imagine, I mean, he is standing there. Jesus is talking about a new commandment, and this is what Jesus says, and this is what John is hearing. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And now Gaius, they are testifying to Gaius as a disciple of Christ because of the love he has for one another. So he is, he is an example to follow because he, he walks in the truth, he loves others, and he is faithful to treat others as God has treated him. Verse 6, who testified to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Gaius honors God by his care for those who are in gospel ministry. Preeminent in John's mind is, is, is doing things in a manner worthy of God, that God would be glorified. 
He's after the glory of God. And even as he reminds Gaius here to care for others in a manner worthy of God, John knows that Gaius has done this very thing because there's been testimony to that end. He has treated these men or, and possibly women with love and care. He has a testimony And so as these men, these folks go back to their church, to the Ephesian church where John is, and they, they testify about Caius, they say, here's a man. Here's a man that, that is, is gospel-oriented. Here's a man that loves one another. Here's a man that is honoring God. He treats us in a manner worthy of God. In other words, the way he treats us that's how he treats God. The way he treats God, that's how he's treating us. That's who this man is. And then Gaius is, is an example because he is faithful to extend hospitality to these men. He just doesn't love them. It's not just words, I love you. He demonstrates that love. Verse 7, for they, speaking of the missionaries, these gospel ministers, they've gone out for the sake of the name, John writes, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, John writes, to Gaius, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And these are the, this is the very thing that Gaius has done. He is being commended by John in this letter. These missionaries did not expect outsiders to care for them. They expected the church to care for them. They went out for the sake of the name. That, that name is the name of Christ. That's who they went out for. And it's, uh, and it's for the sake of Christ that Gaius is caring for them, that he's showing hospitality to them. His support was tangible. It was practical. It was generous. And it was sacrificial. And he served these men. Listen, that is who Grace Church wants to be, needs to be, and has been. Josello Mercado, a pastor in Sovereign Grace, but who serves uh, in, in South America, but a lot in, in Puerto Rico, particularly with this recent hurricane. Um, he goes out for the sake of the name. He, he's, he's not a stranger among us, but he is among us. And we extend to him the kind of hospitality through our, our financial giving and through our support and our prayers for him. Sung Won Kang in Seoul, South Korea is another man who has stood in this pulpit and a man that we have supported financially, a man that we have supported in prayer, a man that we've supported by sending people to him. He's a, he's a man that we've extended hospitality to. And Yesupadam from India who stood in this pulpit Joel Bain and Sean Taylor, who are men that just recently graduated from the pastor's college and are going to Jamaica to plant a church in the coming months. Those are men that this church has supported. And Mac and Leanne Stiles, who came and they were here with us a year ago. And in a sense, they were strangers. We didn't know them. We read their book, but we didn't know Mac and Leanne. And there they go planting a church in Iraq we support them financially. We support them through prayer. We show them hospitality. That's what we do. That's who we are. 
And that's who we want to continue to be. We value these men and women and the work they're doing. And, and so this kind of gospel work, it is healthy for our souls. That's what makes Gaius an example to follow. That's the kind of work he is doing. And in the process, I love what verse 8 tells us, therefore we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers. It's not just about giving money. We are fellow workers. We are We are making the name of Christ known as we support these and others who come into our midst. Hospitality in the New Testament is serious business. The writer of Hebrews 13.2 suggests that we might be entertaining angels when we extend hospitality. Jesus tells us in Matthew 25 that that which we do to the least of his brethren, we do for him. To not show hospitality in this culture was a grave error, a grave sin. There's a book that was written back in, in the mid-2000, 2005 or 2006, um, called Lone Survivors, a story of one of the Navy SEALs named Marcus Luttrell. He and three other SEALs went out, so as four men out, and uh, three of the men were killed. Marcus Luttrell um, was seriously injured, but made his way to an Afghan village. Now, in the scheme of things, he was an enemy combatant. But he made his way into the village and in Afghan culture and value, when somebody makes their way into your village, you protect them, you care for them. And that village cared for him and protected him from other Taliban soldiers coming in who wanted to kill him. That's how seriously they took hospitality. And that's just 10, 12 years ago. That value exists in Eastern culture. And it exists right here. And it is the value that we adopt in the church of caring and protecting and loving and supporting. Although the context for hospitality is is missionaries in this passage, the, the principle extends to life. The principle extends to the life we have in Grace Church as we extend hospitality to one another. And there are other passages in the New Testament that make it clear that hospitality is not just to strangers, but is for the church, the community at large. And that's what makes us a healthy church. And that's what makes it well with our souls. That is the kind of example we want to follow. Gospel, love, hospitality. These are evidences of a healthy soul that brings joy to others. It honors Christ. It builds the church. Gaius is an example to follow. But John doesn't stop there. He goes on to show us an example to avoid in a man named Diotrephes who is sick in his soul. It seems that Diotrephes is the leader of a church as well, close by, most likely Gaius' church. Um, He and Gaius have been leading those churches, and John's circular letters have made their way to these churches. Whereas Gaius would read these letters, Diotrephes refuses to read John's letters. 
We, we don't know what happened. We don't know why John and Diotrephes has a problem. We don't know exactly what it was, but it was serious. It was serious enough that Diotrephes rejects John's authority as an apostle. He re- refuses to read John's letters. He refuses to extend hospitality to gospel ministers. And he even puts out of the church those who extend hospitality. What is up with this man? And verse 9 describes it. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to, and he puts them out of the church. Here's why Diotrephes is an example to avoid because he has a sick soul, because he is proud. He puts himself first. He's, he's not a Philippians 2 kind of guy. Consider others more important than yourself. He rejects authority. No one can tell him what to do. He's above counsel. He's a gossiper and a slanderer. He demeans others to make himself look good, and he abuses his authority as a pastor. He is the kind of leader who is the opposite of everything Peter describes in 1 Peter. Peter writes the kind of pastors that you deserve and that we must be. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly and not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Diotrephes was the exact opposite. He had no pastoral care for these folks. Sadly, sadly that behavior is not limited to 2,000 years ago. Today we still see ungodly leaders and we see ungodly church members attempt to undermine the work of the gospel in their local church because their souls are dark with sin. Their their souls are dark with pride. They they reject authority. They gossip and slander. They, They do not follow the way of Christ. They are not walking in the truth. And that that can be discouraging. But I want you to know that's not all Jesus sees in his church. He knows us. He knows every one of us. He knows who we are. He knows we are not sin-free. No, no church is sinless. All of us are aware. All of us are aware that this church and no church will ever be perfect. We have made our share of mistakes here. And we will make more mistakes. Nonetheless, Nonetheless, even with that, until that day arrives when Jesus returns, he continues to love his church. He continues to be present with his church. He continues to be committed to his church. He promises and is committed to transform his church, even in the midst of controversy. And so we have an example to follow in Gaius, And we have an example to avoid in 
to atrophies. Now, now John, John ends his letter in a surprising manner. With all of this controversy, with all of this gossip and slander and accusations and people being put out of the church and, and all of this relational challenges, in verse 15, he ends with this, which is an unusual way to end a letter in the New Testament. Typically, it's grace to you. And he ends, peace be to you. Peace be to you. No, no doubt, John thinks back to when he was with Jesus. And Jesus says these words in 1427, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Listen, the peace here is, is not, it's not just, oh, everything's good. It's the peace we have that we know Christ. It's the peace we have that we are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It is, it is a peace that is transcendent above human peace. And John ends his epistle with these words, peace be to you. Don't be troubled. When you see controversy in the church. No, 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 no. Listen, you, you be an example to follow. Let it be well with your soul. You be an example that people look at. Let it be well with your soul. So how do we, how do we avoid becoming like diatrophies? How do we be more like our friend because we have an opportunity to respond to the imperatives in this passage. And that is our application this morning. If you look in verse 11, the first application is this. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And then he shares just another testimony about another guy named Demetrius who has a good testimony, who has imitated good and not imitated evil, who knows God. And so our, our first response is to not imitate evil, but imitate good. He begins with the negative before the positive. He's spoken of Diotrephes, who is this negative example, but then he moves on to Gaius. Imitate all that is good, like Gaius. Imitate but imitate the only one who is perfect, who is Christ. Don't, don't stop with Gaius. Don't stop with Demetrius. Imitate Christ. Our perseverance in this will show that we know Christ, that we have seen him. But then he goes on and he has one more imperative in this, and it's an interesting imperative. It's, it's a hospitality imperative, in a sense. Listen, hospitality is not easy. There are some here that are given to hospitality, and you just love having folks in your home. You just love being with people. You know everybody by name, but that's not most people. 
Some of us don't even like crowds, like football games and baseball games. I go to for the fellowship, but the crowds just, you know, they're just big. <laughs> they're, just, they're just big. And, and, I, and I do love hospitality. I do love having people in my home, but I like to kind of set the stage on that. Years ago when we were in Atlanta, Meryl and I were just sitting down to dinner. She had made barbecue chicken. My, and and I, I, I hate dark meat chicken. So Marilyn, but Marilyn and the kids loved it. So she always made a chicken breast for me and dark meat for everybody else. And literally we're just sitting down and there's a knock on our door. And it's this couple in our church, Ricardo and Sheila. And they were driving around in the neighborhood and their car broke down in front of our house. Now, there are other folks in the neighborhood who were part of the church, but it didn't break down in front of their house. It broke down in front of our house. And we're just sitting down at dinner. So Marilyn says, hey, why don't you come in for dinner? So, uh, sure. So we all sit down at the table. It's really crowded. And there's just barely enough food to make it through all of us. And, and Marilyn passes the plate to Ricardo first. And it's like in slow motion. I see, I see Ricardo's fork and it's going right towards the chicken breast. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, but on the inside I'm going, no! That is not what I want for hospitality at this moment. Make him a PBJ, do something for him. Hospitality is not always easy, but it is what we're called to. And it is what makes a healthy soul. And it's what makes the church healthy. It's what allows us to prosper. And so John ends with these words, peace be to you. But then he says this, the friends greet you. Greet the friends. And then he says this, every one of them. Every one of them. The ones you don't like, every one of them. When you walk in on a Sunday morning, are there anybody in particular that you might avoid that you just, I just don't quite, you know, we don't connect when we talk. And so you kind of just, you know, you see them coming and you just turn to somebody else or you make your way and, you know, you, have you ever thought that maybe you're one of those people too? <laughs> Greet the friends. That's an imperative. Every one of them. And so when we show up here on Sunday morning, we show up at care group, we come with hospitality. We, we have lives that, that emulate Christ and men like Gaius. That's what we do. That's how we live. And the question today is, how is it with your soul? How is it with your soul? For remember our proposition, for the church to prosper, all must be well with your soul. Father, thank you that you provide even 
small letters like this to instruct us, to strengthen our church, and to remind us of your great love for us in Christ and how we have been transformed and we don't have to be the way the world wants to live. We can be like Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that, that you would help this church to be more like Christ, to, to imitate men like Gaius who, who show us what it looks like to have a healthy soul. And may we do it all for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.